We're really hopeful that our vaccines will work in a way that even if they don't prevent disease entirely, that they can work to prevent severe disease and keep people out of the hospital. Oh, well, that would be very nice. Thank you, Dr. Walensky. One reason. I got the feeling that something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Santa Barbara on 98.7, in San Diego on 93.7, and Ridgecrest in China Lake, California on 99.5 FM. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe on, uh, oh, I, I skipped a whole bunch of people. I don't want to skip anyone. We're also heard in California on in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's. KEPW in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis. St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. And yes, here are the streaming options for you as well on the Internet. It's on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk. Yes, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen, for joining us today as well. Hi, well, Des. Do I have a choice of oh, being well, here or not? Well, we'll discuss. <laughs> we'll discuss after the program. <laughs> anyway, uh, hey, uh, so on our previous broadcast, I had uh, spoken with uh, University of Kentucky election law expert Josh Douglas about his recent op-ed explaining how state courts would need to be used now to fight against the wave of extreme partisan redistricting, gerrymandering now going on in states controlled by Republicans after the U.S. Supreme Court about two years ago essentially washed their hands of partisan redistricting issues, um, declaring that federal courts should have no say in the matter, should have nothing to do with it, leaving it up to each individual state to adjudicate such matters uh, based on their state constitutions. Now, in one sense, as Douglas explained on Friday's show, which if you missed, you can download it for free at bradblog.com. Douglas explained during our conversation that that in and of itself is not necessarily a terrible thing in that state constitutions, unlike the federal constitution, tend to have more specific clauses in them regarding an affirmative right to vote, to a fair, a fair and free vote, etc., more than the U.S. Constitution does. So they might actually have better luck there 
than they might in in federal court, where the U.S. Supreme Court has already said, well, we don't want anything to do, at least with partisan redistricting, racial gerrymandering. That's another matter. But uh, we we also ended the conversation with Josh Douglas with a very spirited and lively debate. I thought it was lively uh, over whether uh, in lieu of passage of the Freedom to Vote Act in the Senate, which would ban partisan gerrymandering in all 50 states. Uh, that bill is currently supported by all 50 Democrats caucusing with uh, in, in the Senate, at least in theory, because it's being blocked by, well, of course, a Republican filibuster, but also blocked because Democrats Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, even though they say they support the bill, for now, they were refusing to reform the filibuster in order to allow the passage of uh, democracy-saving bills with a simple majority vote in the uh, in the U.S. Senate. So, with that currently the case, whether states controlled by Democrats should respond in kind to what Republicans are doing, well, that is what Josh Douglas and I. Uh, had a, our lively debate on uh, my belief that, yeah, Democrats should also use extreme partisan gerrymanders at this point in states where they control the redistricting process. Um, and not because I'm a Democrat or not because I'm supporting Democrats, but because I support democracy and what is being done right now, the way the Supreme Court has been gamed, the way Republicans are now feeling free to just absolutely uh, you know, destroy democracy itself in the way they are gaming their uh, new legislative maps following the 2020 election. Uh, I don't think that Democrats should unilaterally disarm. I think that they should do the same thing in states where they control in order, in hopes of trying to save democracy itself, because the uh, Republicans will, at this rate, win a majority in the uh, in the U.S. House in 2022, even if Everyone in America voted exactly as they did in 2020, when nearly five million more votes were cast for Democratic House members rather than Republican ones. Just by gerrymandering states, the uh, Republicans are damn near at this point guaranteeing themselves a majority in the U.S. House, which they can then use to steal the 2024 presidential election. Something else I hope to get to later this week. We have uh, discussed, anyway, that issue before about whether blue states should gerrymander in the same way. We likely will discuss it again. Uh, I know a lot of folks wanted to ring in on that point the last time we opened the phones to that. So later in the show, I do hope to open the phones again on something else. But if you want to ring in on that, that's fine, too. 818-985-5735 will be our phone number. But I'm mentioning all of this right now because just an hour or two uh, before airtime, the Department of Justice announced that they are indeed filing suit against the state of Texas and their new redistricting maps for Congress. Good. That, after the uh, Texas population grew by some 4 million people since 2010, since the census in 2010, almost entirely, 95 percent thanks to minorities in the uh, Latino and black community in Texas. And uh, for that, Texas is allowed to add two new congressional districts. And how did they do it? Well, they did so by adding two new white 
majority districts and removing one Latino district. And so today, the uh, Department of Justice is suing, and I'm happy that they are under the Voting Rights Act, the part of it that has not been gutted by the uh, by the U.S. Supreme Court. Hey, at least some of it is still around to protect voters. We'll see. We'll see how much of it uh, actually works to protect voters here. But I'm glad they're doing it. I need to get to some other stuff today, so hopefully we'll talk a bit more about this on tomorrow's broadcast. But I want to let you know for now that this suit was filed today uh, and the DOJ, at least, is stepping up on this, uh, at least in Texas. Uh, but more tomorrow. Uh, throughout the year, Garland, uh, Merrick Garland, the attorney general, has urged Congress to pass new voting legislation to block this type of voter suppression uh, but has said he would use whatever he can, uh, you know, whatever existing legislation he can to fight voting rights abuses wherever the uh, federal government believes they can still do so. So anyway, uh, as noted, I, I hope to open the phones in a bit to another issue that we've been uh, sort of alluding to in recent weeks, which is essentially the corporate media, which seems to be, believe it or not, going much harder against Joe Biden than they did against Donald Trump, which is kind of incredible if you think about it. Uh, and, and now we've got a bit of scientific evidence to prove that. So I'm wondering if you have opinions about why the corporate media may be doing that, particularly when it comes to the economy. Uh, or if you believe the uh, theory that I will go into more detail on uh, is simply not true, you can give me a call a little bit later, 818-985-KPFK, if you want to line up now. We uh, will talk about that shortly. But very uh, first, quickly here, uh, since everything now seems to be happening at once these days, uh, a bit of new information regarding the Omicron variant of the coronavirus, which, if only due to the scary sounding Greek letter for it uh, that it is named for, is kind of freaking out a lot of folks for some reason. On that front, some seemingly encouraging news rolling in this weekend as epidemiologists and virologists begin to try and make sense of the very limited data that is uh, still available on the Omicron strain, uh, which has been freaking folks out. U.S. health officials said on Sunday that while the Omicron variant of the coronavirus is rapidly spreading throughout the country, early indications suggest that it may be less dangerous than the Delta variant, which continues to drive a surge of hospitalizations right now and currently comprises about 99 percent of the known cases in the U.S. Now, I've got a few caveats here that I, I, I want to add to these comments in a moment. But on CNN's State of the Union on Sunday, uh, President Biden's chief medical advisor, Dr. Anthony Fauci, uh, while noting that scientists still need much more uh, information before drawing conclusions about Omicron severity, uh, Fauci noted reports from South Africa where it, uh, the uh, Omicron variant initially emerged and is becoming the dominant strain, um, suggesting that hospitalization rates have not increased alarmingly, at least not just yet, at least according to Dr. Fauci. Thus far, though it's too early to really make any definitive statements about it, thus far it does not look like there's a great degree of severity to it, but we really got to be careful 
before we make any determinations that it is less severe or really doesn't cause any severe illness comparable to Delta. But thus far, the signals are a bit encouraging regarding the severity. But again, you got to hold judgment until we get more experience. But clearly, it is becoming the dominant variant in South Africa. The question for us here in the United States, now that it is clearly here in at least 15 or more states Mm -hmm. and in about 40 countries, is what is it going to be as it competes with the very dominant variant Delta, which we have 99.9% of the isolates in the United States are Delta. And it's going to be very interesting to see when you have the Omicron, which is now clearly in our own country, Mm -hmm. and there is an indication of community spread. What's going to happen when you have those two competing with each other? Boosters are going to be really critical in addressing whether or not we're going to be able to handle this. Boosters are going to be really critical, says Fauci. Also, he said that the Biden administration is looking at lifting the travel restrictions against uh, non-citizens entering the U.S. from several African countries. Those restrictions put in place recently in response to Omicron. Um, But uh, U.N. Secretary General uh, Antonio Guterres has blasted those measures as, quote, travel apartheid. And he is right. South Africa and nearby countries are being penalized simply because they were the first uh, and the best, really, to identify initially the Omicron variant in the first place, even after it has obviously already spread all over the place. Hopefully, said Fauci, we'll be able to lift that ban in a quite reasonable period of time. He added, we all feel very badly about the hardship that has been put on not only South Africa, but the other African countries. Omicron, for the record, has been detected now in about a third of U.S. states, including in the Northeast, the South, the Great Plains, the West Coast. Yes, pretty much everywhere. Wisconsin, Missouri and Louisiana, they are among the latest states to confirm cases, while Delta still remains the dominant variant, as I said, making up more than 99 percent of cases and driving the current surge of hospitalization. Uh, Cases have increased about 50 percent in the U.S. in recent weeks, cases of all types, largely Delta. And officials worry that it's going to get much worse as Americans who are still too many of them not vaccinated or remain unboostered like myself, though we hope to get a booster shot later this week. Yeah, Friday. Me too. I think it's really important to get them. It myself. took us about a month to get one, actually, here in California. I, I think it might be easier elsewhere. It might even be easier now than it was when we initially tried to sign up for one. Anyway, you know, Americans are going to be traveling, gathering again for the holidays. This has a lot of uh, folks very concerned Uh, And they should be. Right now, National Guard teams have already been sent out to help hospitals that are already overwhelmed yet again, for example, up in western New York. U.S. officials continued urging people to get vaccinated, to get their booster shots, as well as take precautions such as wearing masks when among strangers indoors, saying anything that helps protect against Delta will also help protect against other uh, variants, even if Omicron does prove less dangerous than Delta. And again, I've got some caveats in a second for that. Uh, Even if it does, it remains problematic. World Health Organization epidemiologist Dr. Maria 
Van uh, Kirkov explained that a little bit on CBS Face the Nation on Sunday. We do know that people who are infected with the Omicron variant can have mild disease all the way through severe disease. Initial reports suggest um, that people with Omicron tend to have more mild disease, but it's too early to tell. And the reason for that is because it takes time for people to go through the full course of their infection. It may take some weeks before we actually understand how many of those individuals will go on to develop severe disease. Um, so we do see that full spectrum. Um, but even if it is a mild disease, it's important that we still act fast now to take measures to control its spread. Because even if we have a large number of cases that are mild, um, some of those individuals will need hospitalizations, they will need to be uh, go into ICU, and some people will die. And so more cases can mean more hospitalizations, more hospitalizations can mean more deaths. And we don't want to see that happen on top of an already difficult situation with Delta circulating globally. And that's exactly right. Uh, and I'll have uh, some more details on that in a moment. But already two years now into the outbreak, COVID-19 has killed more than 780,000 Americans. And that's speaking rather conservatively. Deaths are still running at just below 1,000 a day at this point. More than 6,600 new hospital admissions are being reported daily, according to tracking data from the uh, from the CDC. Now, a few of the caveats that I mentioned here, because it seems like the media is only able to cover one storyline at a moment. And the moment that storyline is, oh, nothing to worry about with Omicron. It's a lot less worse than we thought. It's a lot less severe. Everything's fine. Don't worry. That is, you know, the last 24, 48 hours or so. Um, but that is one of the reasons why I wanted to play uh, Dr. Uh, Van uh, Verkova there. Um and why I want to share this thought from uh, from Josh Marshall of TPM, who has been very closely tracking. He's turned into a very good source for this. He's been very closely tracking the development of data and sort of the raw discussions and conversations uh, between epidemiologists and virologists uh, throughout the pandemic and in uh, recent days, specifically in regard to Omicron, uh, Omicron. He says there are reports this morning about early signs that Omicron COVID produces milder disease uh, than feared or perhaps milder disease than Delta and the other variants. There does appear to be growing evidence of this or more evidence that Omicron doesn't produce more severe disease, which is a great thing. But as to the caveats, uh, he notes, we are still dealing with spotty and very limited data. Critically, patients often take two or three weeks to deteriorate uh, with COVID. And we are only about 10 days or so into Omicron really starting to spread wild, widely, even in South Africa. There are also other more specific in issues. For instance, the early part of the wave in South Africa was disproportionately among young people who always tend to fare better than old people. So that's something to keep in mind early on here as we're deciphering what Omicron may or may not mean. One report out over the weekend uh, he cites, noted that a high proportion of the hospitalizations in South Africa were secondary diagnosis. In other words, someone enters the hospital to have some non-COVID-related surgery and they test positive for COVID. In cases like this, these patients were probably not showing signs of severe disease, maybe any signs at all. 
but now they are hospitalized with COVID, at least according to the data. If that holds up, he notes, it suggests that hospitalizations where these folks were hospitalized but for something else entirely uh, may be less a proxy for disease severity than we might normally think. So there's a lot of nuance here that does not seem to get uh, reported by the corporate media, at least not in the headlines that fly by on Facebook and nobody bothers to click through to read the rest. He says, in any case, the early signs are definitely encouraging, but we're too early in the process to have collected sufficient data or been far enough along in the process of disease progression to know fully what we are dealing with. Second point he makes, even if these reports of relatively mild disease are borne out, it does not mean that Omicron itself produces less severe illness. This part is important to understand, he notes, as it illustrates all the different overlapping factors that are involved as we're trying to figure this out. For example, a huge portion of the population in South Africa, where we're getting a lot of this data, has already had COVID. And a relatively small proportion of that population has been vaccinated. Omicron's big advantage and why it's taking off in the country appears to be that it is substantially more able to reinfect people who have already had the disease suggesting that natural antibodies here may not be as protective against Omicron as many people may have hoped. Many people who might not have gotten their uh, their shots, their vaccination at all, thinking, well, I already had COVID. I've got natural antibodies. I'll be fine. But just because Omicron can get around that Immunity does not mean that these people have no immunity at all. So what we may be seeing is that Omicron can reinfect a lot of people that for whatever reason Delta could not, but that these people have some residual immunity from having had COVID, so they still have some antibodies. So it does not pack the same punch as Delta or other variants did with people who had no immunity at all because they were unvaccinated or they never had the disease. So that's something to keep in mind as well. Uh, One of the reasons that we're getting reports that the cases are mild is because maybe they are reinfecting people that already have at least some antibodies. And third, uh, one thing Josh says that he has picked up through his what he describes as his unwilling redirection into infectious disease reporting over the last two years. Oh, I feel you, Josh. Uh, is that uh, epidemiologists are often more focused on transmissibility than on lethality. Why? Well, the reason he notes is simple math. A really, really lethal disease that infects 100 people, but only 100 people, yes, it's lethal, but it's not particularly transmissible, well, that will kill fewer people than a less lethal disease that infects hundreds of thousands. So on an individual level, if you get the disease, lethality is obviously key. You want to know how how bad is this disease. But on a population level, transmissibility can be a bigger deal. And Omicron appears to be very transmissible. Even if Omicron is more mild than other COVID infections overall, it seems to spread really, really easily. And that might be because it's inherently more contagious or simply that it spreads among 
previously infected or vaccinated people and can access more of the population, whichever it is, even a comparatively mild form of COVID still could swamp hospitals and could generate a wave of new disease and death just because it impacts so many people so quickly. So there is some encouraging news there, obviously, but it is still very tentative. And at population scale, Josh notes, speed and scope of spread can be as big a deal as severity. So please keep that in mind. As I said, the media seems to be, you know, sort of becoming fixated over the last 24 hours, uh, you know, for today on the less severe, less lethal aspects. Well, yes, maybe in each individual case, but and that's only a maybe. But if it spreads more quickly and easily, as it currently does seem to, it could still end up killing as many or more people than the previous variants. So. That's all by way of saying don't celebrate just yet. And if you have not yet uh, got your booster, go get it. And if you have not yet got your first two vaccine shots, go get them now. As NPR confirmed yet again over the weekend, since May of 2021, uh, people living in counties that voted heavily for Donald Trump during the last presidential election have been nearly three times as likely to die from COVID-19 as those who live in areas that went for now President Joe Biden. That's according to a brand new analysis by NPR that examines how political polarization and misinformation are driving a very significant share of the deaths in the pandemic. NPR looked at deaths uh, per 100,000 people in 3,000 different counties across the U.S. from May 21 up until now, uh, May 21 being the point at which vaccines had become wildly available. And uh, people living in, in counties that went 60 percent or higher for Donald Trump in November of 2020 had nearly three times the death rate of those that went for Joe Biden. Counties with an even higher share of the vote for Donald Trump saw even higher COVID-19 mortality rates. In fact, in October, the reddest tenth of the country saw death rates that were six times higher than the bluest tenth of the country. Uh, according to this uh, analysis, uh, the trend was robust, even when controlling for age, which is the primary demographic risk of COVID-19 mortality. Uh, the data also reveal a major contributing factor to the death rate difference. The higher the vote share for Donald Trump, the lower the vaccination rate. And frankly, you do not need to be a virologist to understand why that is the case and why it ultimately means that the death rates in Trump counties, which are more unvaccinated than Biden counties, you don't need to be a, well, a, a virologist or a mathematician to figure out these numbers. Get your shots Get your shots and get them now. Get your boosters. It is just math. OK, a bit more uh, related-ish, good-ish news before we get to our break here. Um, and uh, when I want to take your calls on 
On the media coverage that we have been uh, uh, discussing in recent weeks, the terrible media coverage, the really irresponsible media coverage that we have seen from corporate media regarding the economy, uh, demand for coronavirus vaccines has now spiked in the U.S. in recent weeks. That is good. That, as more Americans are becoming eligible for booster shots and due to concerns over the Omicron variant. Healthcare providers administered more than 2 million doses of coronavirus vaccines on Thursday, according to the CDC, the highest single day total since May. Uh, according to the uh, CDC numbers over the week ending last Thursday, the average number of daily administered vaccine doses reported to the agency was 22 percent higher than the previous week. For uh, most of October, fewer than or slightly over one million doses of coronavirus vaccines were reported to the CDC as being administered every day. But by mid-November, those numbers hovered around one and a half million. In the past three reporting days now, they neared or exceeded two million Shots. So people are getting the message. Now, the increased demand for coronavirus vaccines is largely driven, unfortunately, I guess, by demand for booster shots. Um, but it's not only booster shots. Uh, according to White House COVID-19 data director Cyrus uh, Shapar, uh, tweeting out over the weekend, quote, Saturday, just in, more, more than 2.17 million doses reported administered over yesterday's total, including 554,000 newly vaccinated uh, uh, people. That's half a million newly vaccinated and 1.25 boosters. Total doses administered increasing as we approach winter and with Omicron spreading. Need to keep this up, says Shapar. Yes, we do. We really do. So don't be misled. Get your shots, get your boosters, uh, save yourself, save your family members who may or may not be able to uh, to, to get shots uh, or who may be very easily reinfected by yeah. the new variant. That's the point that really hits home for me. I think that uh, people should approach this from a risk management perspective. At least that's how I approach it. You know, you may find you personally that, oh, you don't think that you're going to be at risk even if you do get uh, sick from COVID and you get infected and that'll be fine for you. But the problem is you can infect others. So by getting a vaccination and getting your booster shot, you can help reduce your chance of infection and your chance of spreading it to other people like, say, store employees who mm. you come into contact with who cannot escape the store or, and are forced to interact with people. Or your grandmother when you get together for Christmas, for yes. the holidays. Exactly. People that you don't want to hurt who you may not have thought about hurting or even, to go back to that same example, the store employee's grandmother, that they bring it yes. home to somebody that they've got yep. at home. And and so it's a, it's a way to help protect your community and uh, prevent the virus from overwhelming hospitals again. So... Thank yeah. you. Uh, thank you for underscoring that point, Desiree. All right, let's take a quick break here. And because I really want to talk about uh, some science now uh, in what would seem to back up what I've been reporting sort of anecdotally in recent weeks on on the broadcast about the really weird and tilted misinformation about the economy that is being echoed across really the entirety of the corporate media in recent weeks, drawing a rather skewed picture Um about 
both the economy and Joe Biden's role in it, for which that same corporate media has said he is taking a big hit in his approval ratings in turn. Funny how that happens. Uh, Details on that and your calls as to why the corporate media appear anyway to kind of have it out for Joe Biden in this uh, in this very strange reporting. Our phone number is 818-985-5735 if you'd like to ring in as to why the media now seem to be going harder on Joe Biden than even on Donald Trump, uh, at least according to this next report. And you may disagree or you may want to ring in as to why. 818-985-KPFK is our phone number. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is The Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Reality used to be a friend of mine. Reality used to be a friend of mine. Maybe why it's a question that's on your mind, but reality Well, reality is still a friend of ours here on the Bradcast. Welcome back to it. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. So we have been covering in recent weeks uh, this really strange phenomenon where the economy, in fact, struggling to come out of the pandemic, has actually been going gangbusters in a whole bunch of metrics. Most of them, in fact, uh, have been really, really good. But strangely enough, the corporate media continues to focus on a couple of the weaknesses in the economy still, uh, many of which are not actually particularly weaknesses at all. The White House has tried to begin taking some efforts to counter much of the bad reporting on this. Uh, They noted, for example, this week that last year in November of 2020, unemployment was at 6.7 percent. Well, this year, In November of 2021, it has plummeted nearly half a percentage point from 4.6 percent last month, just last month, to 4.2 percent. I should say from the month before to 4.2 percent just last month and pretty much what it was prior to the pandemic. That after having fallen four tenths uh, of a percent, almost half a percent, Over this past month, even in the last week when that number came out from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the media instead focused on the more than 200,000 jobs that were added over the past month by describing all of this as a disappointment. Really? Uh, Another point that the uh, White House makes last November, retail sales uh, last year, November 2020, retail sales were $549 billion under Donald Trump. This year, that number has exploded to $638 billion under Joe Biden. Well, that sounds terrible. We covered the strange coverage of the uh, November new jobs numbers uh, last week, noting how that led all of the corporate media reports as they ignored the fact that unemployment had dropped an extraordinary number in just one month's time, far exceeding the expectations of analysts and economists. Our friend Eric Bollard at Press Run picked up on some of these points today. He asks, is adding 200,000 
New jobs to the U.S. economy in a single month, good or bad news? At NPR, he notes, the answer seems to change depending on who is president. He goes on to note that uh, on Friday, the Labor Department announced uh, that the as the economy emerges from the pandemic, 210,000 jobs were added in November, fewer, in fact, than what analysts had expected. And they went on immediately onto Twitter and NPR said, quote, November hiring was a bust with only 210,000 jobs created. And those numbers came even before Omicron was identified, they said. He notes that their reporting here was clear. Hiring was in a ditch and it was likely to get much worse with the new variant looming. The political implications for the Biden White House were obvious as well. Uh, The Beltway press for months has been stressing that the economy and especially inflation was a huge political problem for Biden. And they consistently listed it as just one of the many pressing crises facing the White House. So according to NPR, on Friday, that crisis just got worse. 210,000 new positions were added. That is the equivalent of a bust, according to NPR. But Bullard notes what's odd is how NPR previously covered similar jobs announcements under Donald Trump. Back in January of 2020, for example, NPR cheered that the U.S. economy was, quote, revved up. Why? Because 225,000 jobs were added that month. The year before that, an NPR headline read, Job market surges as employers add 266,000 jobs in November. They went on to include a quote from the Trump White House, quote, It's a tremendous report. Obviously, it's something to be very happy about. Both of those recent cases during the Trump years make it sound like adding between 200,000 and 300,000 jobs in a month is a great thing. But under Biden, it's a bust for some reason. Uh, And Bullard goes on to note that the uh, Friday labor report also included this huge drop uh, in the unemployment rate down to 4.2 percent and that it's down two full points in 12 months, which is unprecedented in American history in a president's first year in office. Prior to Biden passing the COVID relief bill last winter, the CBO predicted it would take until 2025 for the U.S. to reach an unemployment rate of 4.2 percent. Which means we're four years ahead of schedule in terms of this historic economy. But to NPR, everything is a bust. Why is that? Why is that? 818-985-KPFK. If you have thoughts on the difference in reporting in the corporate media when it comes to Joe Biden versus the same exact numbers, apples to apples, when it comes to Donald Trump. As we also noted, by the way, regarding the new jobs numbers, every single month this year, the Labor Department has had to revise previous month job numbers, and substantially so. Bollert, for example, notes that in August, the jobs report over the summer claimed that just 235,000 jobs were added, but it was then revised a month or so later all the way up to 483,000 new jobs in August. That is more than double the initial report, which was, at the time, you guessed it, described by the corporate media as disappointing. 
So last week I detailed a bunch of headlines that all came out with the same thing, focusing on that 210,000 jobs as some sort of a disaster while ignoring the unemployment numbers. What is going on here? Uh, uh, It should also be noted uh, today, for example, that GDP, new report finds GDP is up 4.9 percent compared to this quarter last year. But media have been fixated on the fact that it's up somewhat less than economists had previously predicted, even though the increase in GDP was the largest that it has been in four decades. That seems noteworthy. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. And uh, now Republicans and the right-wing media, well, they've got an entire industry, of course, created to pretend that the so-called liberal media is somehow in the bag for Democrats. It is not actually true. But in their decades-long grievance on this, they have sort of succeeded in playing the refs in the media, forcing the media to be kinder for some reason to Republicans than they deserve by turning everything into a both-sides issue. You know, balance. Balance on both sides, which I have long described as BS. Fairness, that's one thing. Balance is BS. And it simply serves to level an unlevel playing field for the bad guys. Well, The Washington Post's Dana Milbank, who I've frankly never been a fan of, but he noted the same thing over the weekend, and he offered some actual science to back up this uh, this argument. He says uh, a sampling of headlines atop the influential Politico Playbook newsletter over the past month, quote, let the Democratic freakout begin. Dems start to face the hard questions. White House braces for a bad CBO score. Quote, Biden dithers, the case for why Biden is screwed. Just to cite a few of the headlines at Politico, which, yes, is very influential inside the Beltway, including not just on Capitol Hill, but among the reporters who work there. He says even the extraordinary news that jobless claims had dropped to the lowest level in 52 years came with the qualifier, quote, don't expect the numbers to immediately change Americans' negative perceptions of the economy. He says it wasn't just Politico. His impression of other outlets' coverage of President Biden had been much the same, unrelentingly negative. Was it my imagination, he asked? No, it wasn't. Artificial intelligence can now measure the negativity with precision. He says at his request, Forge.ai, a data analytics unit of the information company Fiscal Note, combed through more than 200,000 articles, tens of millions of words from 65 news websites, newspapers, networks, cable news, political publications, newswires, and more to do what is called a sentiment analysis of coverage. Now, using algorithms that give weight to certain adjectives based on their placement in the story, it rated that the coverage Biden received in the first 11 months of 2020 and the coverage that President Donald Trump received in the first 11 months of 2020, well, there was a stark difference. He says the findings were painstakingly assembled by fiscal note and they confirmed his fear. He said, my colleagues in the media are serving as accessories to the murder of democracy. 
After a honeymoon of slightly positive coverage in the first three months of the year, Biden's press for the past four months has been as bad as or at times worse than the coverage that Trump received for the same four months of 2020. That at the height of the pandemic and his attempt to steal the 2020 election. Remember, in 2020, he cites, Trump presided over a worst-in-the-world pandemic response that caused hundreds of thousands of unnecessary deaths. He held a super-spreader event at the White House. He got COVID-19 himself. He praised QAnon. He embraced violent white supremacists. He waged a racist campaign against Black Lives Matter demonstrators. He attempted to discredit mail-in voting. He refused to accept his defeat in a free and fair election, leading eventually to the violence of January 6 and causing tens of millions to accept the big lie, the worst of more than 30,000 documented such lies that he told in office, says Milbank. And yet, Trump got press coverage that was as favorable or better than Joe Biden is getting today. Explain that. What is going on here? Why is this happening in the media? I've got some ideas. I bet you do as well. 818-985-KPFK. Let me take a quick break and we will come back. Looks like a lot of folks want to ring in on that. Uh, Come back with your calls, with your explanation. You know, I realize some people are going to perceive this as taking sides with Democrats. You know, I've already heard that from some listeners. Uh, This is not about taking sides with Democrats. This is about taking sides for democracy, which I will do any time, no matter which party it helps or hurt. Quick break, and we're back with your calls. Brad Friedman right here on the Bradcast. Don't touch that dial. Five major corporations now own over 80% of all media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Your support helps us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations across the country. You can make a real difference by supporting independent media. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. Join us at bradblog.com slash donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Taking your calls at 818-985-5735. Sort of bringing together what I've been reporting in various cases over the past few weeks when it comes to the strange reporting on Joe Biden, particularly around the economy and how the media seem to be ignoring what is really, really good economic news out there. Just the week before last, there was one hundred and ninety nine thousand new jobless claims. That is the lowest number since 1969. And yet... I bet you didn't know about it, unless you listen to this show. 818-985-KPFK is our phone number. What is going on here and why? Matt in Santa Maria. Hey, Matt, welcome to the broadcast. What's on your mind and what's going on here? Well, I think it's it's just, it's typical. You know, it's the same, same script, different day, different topic. But what is what is their bottom line? to make money 
they don't have any allegiance to the truth. You know, they're they're piano players in the brothel. How how does how does uh, being equally negative, I guess, for want of a better word, in reporting on Joe Biden when he is clearly nowhere near as uh, destructive as Donald Trump, how does that help their bottom line, Matt? Well, I think the country is under quite the malaise of cognitive dissonance, and they're putting their finger to the wind and following that notion. I don't know if they're doing... um, you know, yeah. study, you know, breakout studies, this, that, and the other, but um, it's, it's, uh, I can imagine the only thing is that it is all about the bottom line with them and that their studies show well, this is the route to take. Yeah. Uh, maybe so. Maybe we'll get some of those studies. I'd love to know. Thanks for that call, Matt. Good to hear from you, my friend. 818-985-KPFK. Let's go to Mary in West L.A. Hey, Mary. Uh, welcome to the broadcast. What, what's going on here as you see it? Why is this happening? I'm a very cynical person now. I didn't used to be like this. Yeah. But I honestly think that the corporate media is far more in the pocket of the GQP <laughs> than they ever used to be. Yeah. They simply hide it better. Yeah. I- that's, that's what I honestly think is going on, because I have seen the same numbers you've seen. Yeah. And I have heard from other sources, not the mainstream media, that Joe Biden's numbers here are fantastic. I try to mention it to my family, all of whom are gopers, Mm -hmm. um, and they won't believe me because they listen, A, to Fox, and then B, to what little of the corporate media that they're willing to listen to, and then they say something along the lines of, see, even NBC says, and that was when it hit me. Yeah. it's absolutely maddening. Uh, last week on the show, yeah, I went through, uh, you know, a bunch of headlines from NBC. Economy added 210,000 jobs in November, far below expectations, indicating troubled labor market recovery. New York Times. Yeah, what the heck is up with that? I know. New York Times, a slowdown that shows companies were growing cautious even before Omicron emerged. CNN, disappointing jobs report. I, I, I see yeah. those I honestly want to scream. I know. Because, I, for one thing, I'm old. Okay, Well, not that old, <laughs> but I'm 67. Uh-huh. I've seen a heck of a lot over the years. And to see numbers that are showing such good progress and such good promise described as disappointing is maddening, to say the least. And that has finally caused me to think that, yeah, the corporate media is far more in the pocket of the GQP, yep. I do not want to call them what they used to be, yep. because they're not that anymore. Yep. And they're better at disguising it now because these come down as memos. Yeah, maybe. And for, and, and for what it's worth, I used to work in entertainment, and every now and then I would hear things through the grapevine that would just raise my hackles. So yep. that's another reason I'm thinking... This is this is a political thing. It's not even just about the mere bottom line. No, this is about power and control. Yes. And considering the fact that, especially since Biden has been president, mm-hmm. people are feeling more hopeful. People are getting out there and doing stuff. People are feeling more purposeful. They're getting out there and getting jobs. 
That didn't happen under Twitler. <laughs> I hear you, Mary. Thank, thank you. I, and I appreciate your thoughts on that. It, it is it is maddening, and <clears throat> I can hear you screaming from here. So thanks for that call, Mary. 818-985-KPFK. Let me get to as many folks as I can here very quickly. Joel in Irvine. Hey, Joel. Uh, what's going on? Why is the media doing this? Why are the Hi. media? Yeah. Hi. Hi, Brad. Um, I think... Well, maybe I'm a little young and naive, if you couldn't tell from my voice. I have some trust in them, but I think it's down to who the economic section of these companies report for. Mm-hmm. So, um, not like their bosses, but, you know, this stereotype, like who reads the nitty-gritty of, you know, the economics page? Wall Street investors, not workers, right? Right. So if they're going over all their economic reports and going over all those stories... They'll say, oh, you know, uh, Democratic administration, workers' rights might expand, you know, taxes might go up. That looks bad for investors. So when they run those stories, they might say the economy is bad. Now, I'm not saying mm-hmm. bias doesn't play a part in that, but I think they're like, I think it's conscious and unconscious. No, I agree. And I think that their mindset, they have a corporate mindset, not a workers mindset not a mindset of you know what does the public need to know they're talking about what they think they need to know the people who make a lot of money the people who invest a lot of money and and so i think that their coverage is certainly skewed in that direction uh but that certainly doesn't excuse it thank thanks joel i appreciate your thoughts on that uh let me go to a lot of folks got some thoughts on this. Karen in Oakland. Hey, Karen, very quickly, welcome to the broadcast. Um, hi. Uh, I've been listening to uh, Eric Bollard for years on the Stephanie Miller radio show every Monday, mm-hmm. and every week it's the same thing. It's, it's complaining about the mainstream media not uh, reporting the good news about the about the economy, about the, what Democrats are doing, mm-hmm. but he's uh, talked but he's only talking to uh, the same crowd, the uh, liberals. He, I don't hear him, uh, with few exceptions, like on CNN yesterday, talking, talking or writing in mm-hmm. the mainstream media. They haven't seen him write an editorial in a Washington Post yeah. or be on NPR or even daring to go on Fox News and uh, push back. Yeah, he's just talking to the. To, you know the people like you and Stephanie mm-hmm. and other like-minded people, and that's why I think uh, his uh, message keeps uh, you know the, doesn't go over the wall and 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 yeah, and to be fair, Eric, America. Eric does go uh, from time to time on uh, on MSNBC, maybe CNN, mm-hmm. but you know this is why you know whenever when Fox News used to ask me to show up, I would show up. And, I, you know, because I would I want to take the message to people who don't generally hear the message. Uh, and but that is not easy to like do. Folks like Fox News has not called in a while. But I should also note neither has MSNBC or CNN. So uh, thanks for that call. Let me see if I can get to uh, as many people as I can here as I'm rushing through. Uh, let me see. There we go. Uh, T- uh, Taranay in a- Anaheim. I think we got your name right this time. Didn't we, Taranay? Yes, you did. Hi. Hi. Good to hear from Um, you. Um, So basically, um, I think that the entire right side, and especially exacerbated by Donald Trump, is anger and hatred. Um, And we know this, and it's why, you know, the phrase like the the 
loudest are the most heard. Mm -hmm. So even like the rallying phrase of Trump's people right now is let's go Brandon, which means uh, basically F F Biden. Um, So I think that the media is, again, just responding to the people that have the strongest emotions for this. And even though Donald Trump uh, put up a lot of negative emotions in people, I still would attest that uh, the right has more media angry media engagement. So I think mm. that even like that by attacking Biden, yeah. it's still giving more uh, media attention and more interpersonal um, user engagement, I guess, to that side. And, and they've also been at it for much longer. I mean, there is an industry built on uh, complaining about the media, claiming they are in the bag for Democrats and everything else. But whenever you look at the actual yeah, so data, it is it is absolutely not the case. But they've got people inside the media who are so frightened of being, uh, you know, described as in the bag for Democrats that they go out of their way. Look how fair I am. Look how mean I'm being to Joe Biden, how tough I'm being on Joe Biden, just the way I was on Donald Trump. Well, maybe... Maybe you're being as tough on Joe Biden as you were on Donald Trump. But does Joe Biden deserve the amount of toughness that Donald Trump did? And by the way, well, you weren't very tough on Trump. Democratic, uh, yeah, I think that the Democratic side as well is usually more even tempered. And I think as a whole, the left is more even tempered. And that's why even when Trump was doing crazy stuff, that it still didn't get that out of hand with the left. So when the left is in the media yeah. or, quote unquote, the left, there's still it's just there's even tempered, you know, and it's the right that's always super, super angry. So when the left, instead of being super angry back, the left's always like kind of even tempered back. And that's kind of a problem. Yes, it is. I appreciate the call, Taraday. Really good to hear from you. Thank you very much. Uh, Hey, my apologies to everyone else who called in. I know a lot of you wanted to get in. Uh, Roger, Roger. No, I did not go to him because of what he said last week. I just couldn't get to you guys. Uh, My apologies for that. Thanks for calling in. Thanks also to my producer, Desi Doyen, to my board operator, Federico Garcia. Good to see you again, brother. Uh, And to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad blog. See you there until we see you here, hopefully tomorrow. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. I can't stand this in-